One of the themes that we're going to be tackling as we continue to work through the book of 2 Timothy is that um, you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, are always on. Can we, uh, fellas, mess with something here? Thank you. Uh, we are always on. We are on mission. In fact, one of the things we were, we were uh, a leadership team was studying a book not that long ago, and one of the things we read in the book um, is, is that um, as a Christian, your primary vocation is as a missionary. It's the reality that as a Christian, your primary vocation is as a missionary, and that's regardless of how you earn your paycheck. Okay? And so we, we saw that video there, that encouragement, this, this gentleman praying, and it's hard, but God, I get it. I know this is how you've wired me. This is how I serve. This is what, what matters. And I want to encourage you as we start to work through, or we keep working through uh, the letter that Timothy writes, I'm sorry, that Paul writes Timothy um, from prison, as we, as we work through that, I want you to continue to wrestle with this idea simply that you, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, your primary vocation, if you claim Jesus Christ, is as a missionary. Everything else is necessarily secondary. And I, I, I pray that you'll see that as we work through this text and keep going. We, we hit the introduction last week, and we're going to keep going. Before we go any further, though, you're like, Matt, why do you have a pink blanket up there with you? Because I like pink blankets. Also because uh, it's our privilege today to welcome, for the very first time, uh, Duncan and Sarah List's new little addition to their family, Emily Rose, and she's sleeping, so we'll be very quiet. Congratulations. Let's give them a golf clap. This is your first. So um, as someone who's had several... Don't wake them up. Uh, but hey, when the service is over, that's a good time to wake her up. Um, so go over and uh, give them a handshake, a hug, um, touch the baby, uh, do whatever you want afterwards, uh, within reason. But uh, we just we, we are so grateful to you guys um, and are so excited for Emily being a part of your family and can't wait to be a part of the way that you minister to her. Uh, and that you pour faith and love into her, and I just can't wait to see what happens. So congratulations. All right, so uh, as we jump in here, we're going to keep going uh, in 2 Timothy, and this is where we ended last week. Last week, we ended with this call. This is Paul. He does his introductions. He gives his resume. Here's who I am. Here's why I'm, I'm writing you this letter. Here's what matters and we get to this point, and this is where we ended last week, was this call. And Paul says to Timothy, after he gives this litany of information, he says, and this is why. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Remember, those spiritual gifts are, are, are part of this way that God has wired Timothy to love and serve and witness and, and to be evangelistic, unapologetically, to be strong. And, and Paul says, fan that into flames. And we said this, look, if you are a Christian here, everyone has this spark. The Holy Spirit lives in you. It's this spark that you have. But you know what? The call is not to settle for a spark. Don't settle for that. Paul says, no, no, no. You make the effort to fan that into flames because God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity 
but he's given you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And so that's where we ended, and, and that's, the, that's the admonition. So we can see that as the mission statement of the letter. Everything that we're going to read over the next eight weeks, everything we're going to break apart in the letter of, of 2 Timothy has this admonition at its core. Fan your gift, fan your passion, fan your salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ that lives inside of you, fan it into flames, unapologetically, unashamedly, fan it into flames so that you can show yourself as one approved for the ministry. And you do that because God has given you the spirit within you to make it possible. A spirit of love, of self-control, a spirit of power, not a spirit of timidity or fear. And I wanna, we're going we're gonna to deal with this here just briefly before we get into the text for this morning. And I just want to say this, look, I get it. I get that it's easy to say that as Christians, we ought to be on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there's nobody sitting here that claims Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a, a Christ follower and you've never claimed to be a Christ follower, then this doesn't apply to you necessarily and you may not understand why this is so critical. But if you're here this morning and you have claimed Christ and you say, you know what, I have been redeemed by Christ, I have been made new in Jesus and Christ now lives in me and the Holy Spirit lives in me, then you know there is nowhere in you that should be lackluster about the gospel of truth. There is nothing in you that should be kind of, right? I feel like we should have watched a Karate Kid clip, right? With, you know, Miyagi talking about walking over here, you know, okay. But here you're squished just like grape. You, you, karate Kid? Some of you, I say Karate Kid and you think Jackie Chan and that Jaden Smith kid? Be ashamed of yourself. You need Ralph Macchio. Cobra Kai Dojo. That's good stuff. Right? If you're my age or older, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and if your parents are cool, you know what I'm talking about. Um, otherwise, I got nothing for you. All right. Point being, though, you have to decide. Okay, and we are so good as a church, and I don't mean us as a church, although, I mean, I don't think we get a pass. I think you lump us right in there with it, but we are so good in this culture with being lukewarm. We are so good at understanding the mission and sitting and paying lip service to the mission, but then tiptoeing through the mission. And you know what? Here's the thing. You aren't the first people to deal with that. You're not the first people to deal with that because Timothy dealt with that. Because Paul says to Timothy, man, don't settle for a spark, but fan that thing into flames because that's not the spirit I gave you. I gave you a spirit of power and love and discipline and self-control. And so you be after it. See, this is, this is the crux here of saying, look, you are different. And I get it, man. The world, the spirit of the world will draw us and pull us, and it's a lot of things. For some of you, it's good stuff that's gotten out of control. I mean, if we're, if we're just brutally honest, for some of you, it is good stuff that has gotten so out of control at your life that faith and spirituality and the gospel of Jesus Christ in a relationship with the God of the universe that saves you is so far down the list of priorities that it's ridiculous. 
that, that God of the universe, creator and sustainer of all things, wants to and desires to know you intimately, but your life is so filled with okay things, not sinful things, not bad things, okay things, but it's so jam-packed with okay things that, that a relationship with God and experience His power in your life is so far down the list, you couldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And for some of you, for some of you, it's sin. It's sin that you just can't seem to beat. And you know it's there and you don't want to, but you still engage in it. And so you feel like, ah, I have, I, I have no self-control. I have no power. And, and you just shrink away. And for some of you, it's sin that you love. And you just love it more than you love Jesus. I mean, we're just really honest. Some of you love sin more than you love Jesus. And so he's down the list because it's the wrong spirit. And for some of you, all of those are bad. In my mind, this is the one that wrecks me the most for you. Uh, and when I say for you, I've been there. I mean, I've looked in the mirror and this has been me. Some of you, what it is, you don't want any more, God. You are quite satisfied with the amount that you have. You're like, I, I, I got a little God. I've got just enough to try to get to heaven. And I'm good. I don't need to grow. I don't need to be challenged. I don't need to accept this mission. I don't need to do anything besides have the little bit of God that I have because that's enough. And that's wrong thinking, man. That's, that's, the, that's the spirit of the world pouring into you something that's not right. But Paul says, man, that's not the spirit you were given. If you're a Christian, you were given a different spirit. You were given a spirit of power of love and of discipline and self-control. And you need to fan that into flames because you can't walk through this life feeling like a little bit is enough or you can't walk through this life wanting more of God but never taking the step because there's so much in the way. So listen, I'm just going to tell you this. The Holy Spirit is your antidote. You're like, okay, Matt, I get it. I, I get those things are problematic, so how do I fix it? Like this, the spirit of this world and this culture keeps throwing other things in the way or telling us that God isn't as important or, or whatever the case is, and, 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 and sin is so enticing and it tangles us up, and isn't it great how Satan does that? He's like, oh, this, this sin isn't that big of a deal, and then as soon as you engage in it, he jumps on you and says, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. How dare you, you do that thing? And, and, and the, the spirit of the world just continues to try to suck us in and get us caught in quicksand, but, but there's an antidote for that. And the antidote against the normalcy of the world is simply this. It is the Holy Spirit in you. So if you are interested in taking this journey that, that Timothy's going to take, because this letter, listen, this is, we, we read this last week, this is a spiritual father who has poured into Timothy, and Timothy is saying, yes, give it to me. I want to know. I want to hear it. I want to I be changed. Help me understand this. If you are interested in taking that step with Timothy and saying, I'm going to take this and I'm going to apply it and I'm going to use it and I'm going to grow and I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are going to know Christ as Lord and Savior because I exist and because I'm on mission. If, if you have that desire in your heart, plain and simple, if you don't, I, man, I hope you get there. If, but if you have that desire in your heart and you're not sure what it is, then, then this is it, man. You've got to dig into the Holy Spirit. You've got to have this daily experience with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is yours. You became a Christian, and the Holy Spirit now lives in you. 
and the Holy Spirit empowers you, but the Word of God tells us very clearly that you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not going to vacate you. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're not, you, the Holy Spirit isn't going to be like, find him out of here, but the Holy Spirit can be quenched, quelched, and the Holy Spirit can be grieved in your heart when you continue to do things the way that you've always done them, and you don't lean into God, and you don't surrender, and you don't... But the Holy Spirit can also, in your life, be in power. And so if you're wanting to dig in, then, then try this. Wake up in the morning. I mean, that's always a good start to your day, right? Wake up. And you just ask. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. I know it, for, the, for those of you that have never done anything like that before and you're not sure you understand about the Holy Spirit, come talk to me and, I, and we can have more of a conversation about this. Track down an elder, track down a leader, a mentor in the church and, and have that conversation. But, but trust me when I tell you that something happens when you wake up in the morning and you say, okay, God, fill me with your spirit today. Let your spirit be powerful in my life today. And you just start your day asking for this filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's not magic, right? Then that, that requires you then being godly in the choices that you make. But you know what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit is in power in your life? All of a sudden, the choice I have to make next isn't as complicated as it used to be because the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline is now in me guiding the decision that I make next. That's the attitude in the heart that you need to have if, if this kind of transformation is going to work, this daily filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? So it's in that vein, in that context, that, that we get into this next section here. And so we start in 2 Timothy 1.8, and here's what, what Paul tells Timothy. Uh, God's given you this spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in you. It's a spirit of power. Stop being afraid. Stop being timid. Stop being weak. Stop being a wimp. Fan it into flames because it matters and it's important. And the gospel of Jesus Christ deserves to be shared with boldness. Do this. Okay? And then he says this. And never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Now here's the thing. The word ashamed, if we look at the original language, if we look at Greek, the word ashamed there does not mean um, necessarily, although it can mean embarrassed by. Okay, and so for some of us, the idea here simply is don't be embarrassed by the fact that you're a Christian. And you and I both know there are some of you here that are embarrassed by the fact that you're a Christian. When you are here, you will proudly, boldly, with a spirit of power, proclaim that you are a Christian. But when you go to work on Monday, right, or when you hang out with your friends at baseball, or you go and you're, you're doing your park stuff or whatever it is, you're, you're lifeguarding at the pool. I don't know what kids do, but, but you're doing this stuff. You're not nearly as bold as you used to be because you're ashamed. You're embarrassed by the gospel, but there's something else here. There's another connotation to this ashamed that doesn't necessarily mean embarrassed, but it means reserved. Because now get this. In the eyes of the Holy Spirit, in the eyes of God, your refusal 
to tell others about our Lord. And when I say tell others about our Lord, what I mean is your refusal to engage in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the benefit of those that are bound to hell, for the benefit of those that Satan has in his clutches, for the benefit of those that do not know him. When you refuse to engage for whatever reason, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's fear, whether it's you've bought into this lie that it should be private, whatever it is, when you refuse to engage, okay, even if it's for what you would consider to be a legitimate reason, God considers that to be that you are ashamed of him. When you don't engage with the gospel, that is equated to shame. And see, there's something about that that you need to understand because most Christians in this country, um, probably in Vinton too, I've only been here for four years, so I can't tell you how you were raised or how you were brought up, but probably this is true here in Vinton. Most Christians have been led to believe that there are Christians and then there is this fancy thing called evangelists, right? That as a Christian, it is your job to live a godly life and not engage in too many sins and to ask forgiveness and repentance when you screw up and you're okay. And then evangelists, pastors, youth pastors, uh, worship pastors, missionaries, those are the people that are supposed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the people that are supposed to tell other people about Jesus. All you have to do to hold up your end of the bargain is live a pretty godly life. And then when the pastors and the missionaries do their job, everything works together the way it should. But Paul tells Timothy here, and that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Here's what you do. Never be ashamed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed to tell other people about our Lord, because when you shy away from telling people about God, what you're doing is you're being ashamed of God. And there's no middle ground there. See, the reason I love Paul I love Paul for a lot of reasons. When I get to heaven, Paul is one of the top guys on my list. Now, here's the problem. I think Paul is one of the top guys on a lot of people's list. It's like when you go to, uh, to like Great America, and you're like, what ride do we want to ride first? But that's the ride everybody wants to ride first. And so you go get in line there, and you wait in line for a really long time. I have a feeling Paul's line is going to be really long. So I, I might go talk to Luke And I'll catch Paul on the flip side. Eternity is a long time. I got a lot of time to talk to some people, right? But Paul is a guy I want to talk to. And one of the reasons I want to talk to Paul is one of the reasons that Paul is like my, my, my hero of Scripture is because Paul does not mince words. And I don't know if you've noticed this about me. Sometimes I can be accused of being a little bit blunt, sometimes even harsh because there's too much at stake. So I resonate with Paul, and he says, look, man, there is, there, there is no, you are proud of your relationship with Jesus, but you're not quite ready to share it. He's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Either you are ashamed, or you're talking about Jesus. That is it. Those are your things. You're ashamed of Jesus or you're sharing Jesus. There is nothing else. So let me ask you this. If God were having this conversation with you, by the way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, these are God's words to you. Would you right now, okay, I don't need you to raise your hand or anything. I just need you to answer this in your heart. Would you at this point in time say, you know what? I am guilty of being ashamed of Jesus or I'm sharing Jesus. Because the way I read it, there is no other option. 
And he keeps going. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. So, so Paul, boy, because, um, because he can, uh, he's like, oh, and you think you got it rough. Don't be ashamed to tell others about Jesus. And you're like, but, but I'm ashamed, and, and, and people might laugh at me, or, or they, might, they might not listen to me, or they might make fun of me, or they, they, they might reject me, or, or something. Paul's like, hey, you know what? I'm in prison because I told people about Jesus. I've been beaten and whipped and shipwrecked, and they're going to. Paul knows this. We covered this last week. Paul is well aware of what's going to happen to him. They are going to cut my head off because I love Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of Jesus. So don't you be ashamed of Jesus. You ever think it's hard to be a Christian? Raise your hand if you think sometimes it's hard to be a Christian. Okay. You realize that if you lived in a lot of other places in the world, by showing up here this morning, your life would be in jeopardy. I read a story. Uh, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about this. It's graphic, but we're going to do it anyway um, because I think it's important. I read a story last week about a pastor in India planning a church with his wife um, and some people that were unhappy that he was there to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in India came to his house and beat him and held him down while they brutalized his wife. And, and if I stopped the story there, you would say, yeah, being a Christian can be really hard. But it's not what you think it is. Because not being ashamed of the gospel means that I fully engage in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to? In a, in a spirit of love and power and self-discipline, it calls us to forgive and so the part of that story that has great value for us is not the fact that the pastor was held down and beaten while his wife was brutalized, but the part of the story that has value is that the wife and the pastor, a year later, baptized into the family of God the men who brutalized her. Because they had a spirit of love and self-discipline and power. We, by and large, in this culture, have a spirit of timidity and fear and weakness. But God has called us to something better, and it's more, and it's useful, and it makes a difference when we fully engage in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, I don't know. Nobody wants it. Nobody would say, give me that. But what we should say in, in the power of the Holy Spirit is, God, we are for you first. And so he's telling Timothy, look, man, I am in jail because I am not ashamed of the gospel. And you get ready to not be ashamed of the gospel because it's going to come at you and the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth it. And in case you're confused, here's the gospel. This is where Paul goes next. For God saved us 
and he called us to live a holy life. Okay? Um, that is not saying that you become a Christian and so now you have to live better. Some people read that and be like, okay, so I become a Christian and now I have to behave myself. I mean, yes, that's part of it, but it's not this thing where you become a Christian and now you got to get out your checklist and be careful not to make mistakes. What happens here is Paul is saying that God saved us and then he called us into a new life. Basically what he's saying is God has given us the power to live differently than we did before because there is nobody else in the world who is held down while your wife is, is, is hurt who then steps in and says, not only do I forgive you, but I want to share the the reality of eternal life with you. See, what Paul is saying is that Jesus, God has saved us through Jesus, and now we have the ability to live a holy life. See, some of you look at living a holy life, you've got it all wrong. You think living a holy life is something that the church wants to put on you to control you. Like the church wants to tell you, do this, don't do that, don't do that, that's bad, don't do that. But no, no, no. What happens is, it's the reality of Christ in you and the Holy Spirit in you, this new spirit of power, love, and self-discipline in you that allows you to be holy, which is what you were always intended to be. It's the nature of the gospel. Heaven, heaven is a byproduct of the gospel. The gospel is not for heaven. See, some of us have bought into the lie that the gospel is to save us from hell and put us in heaven, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is to set captives free, to unchain us, to let us be who we were always supposed to be. When you live a holy life, what that is, is that is you being We'll use Maslow's term, which is goofy because it doesn't actually work. It doesn't make sense. But, but what happens is when you start to live a holy life, you become the fancy psychological term. You become self-actualized because this is what you were always intended to be. It's the nature of the gospel that, that you are set free to live the life that you were intended to live, but you've been stuck and mired in quicksand and sin and you couldn't get out. But now because of the gospel, you're out and you can live free. So God saved us and called us to live a holy life, and he did this not because we deserved it. There was nothing good in us that we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. To show his grace to his people through Christ alone. And now he's made all of this plain by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So what Paul is saying here is that is a powerful message that you can not, should not be ashamed of. Think about the gospel this way. John MacArthur says it this way. God sovereignly designed salvation, and he sovereignly initiates it, completes it, and sustains it. See, from before the beginning of time, God has sovereignly designed salvation. And it was him because it was before you and it was nothing in you, not because we deserved it. So he is the one that initiates salvation. He is the one that sustains salvation. He's the one that delivers salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us, justified us, and delivered us from sin and Satan, from death and hell in every sense and in every tense, past, present, and future. We are saved. This is the power of the gospel. And Paul says, are you kidding me? Do not be ashamed of that power. 
If you're here this morning and you don't know this gospel personally, you've been relying on something else, you haven't been just relying on the grace and the drawing of God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ, then none of this will make sense to you. But if you are here this morning and you're like, I am all in on Jesus, then, then you get this. This is what we call the free gift of salvation that is open to anyone who chooses to follow God. If you're here this morning and you are not following Jesus then this is just simply the moment of repentance, the moment where you say, God, you did that for me. You called me to live a holy life, not because I deserved it, but because it was your plan from the beginning. And you set those things in motion through the person of Jesus Christ. You've shown this as a reality so that you can bring life where there was death and light where there was darkness and hope where there was hopelessness. And I get to live this life. And all you have to do is say, you know what? God, I'm in. It's not complicated. God, I'm in. I know that I'm wrong and I want to be forgiven and so I accept your sacrifice and I choose to follow you now. That's it. When you do that in your heart, when you do that and you mean it, you then become what we call born again. You are a new Christian. You are a new creation. You are made new in Christ and you can get after it unashamedly because now the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's a spirit of power and self-control and discipline and love. And then you get to be about the, the, the task of fanning it into a flame and living a powerful life. That's what Paul did. Look at this. Oh, man. That's done. Next verse, Paul says this, right? That, that's the nature of the gospel that, that that happened. And so, therefore, and God, that word and means therefore. You look at the original context. So God did this. Therefore... I am chosen to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. Paul basically says that before the beginning of time, God chose me. God institutes salvation in my life. God holds salvation up in my life, past, present, future, in every tense, in every sense. I am now a child of God. And in response to that, he has made me one who must contend for the truth. When you read a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news, this is the way you should understand that. You are now, as a Christian, Paul says, as a Christian, I am now one who must contend for the truth. Not to be ashamed, not to shrink away, not to keep it to myself, but I am one who must contend for truth. And he tells Timothy, the whole point of this letter is to say, and Timothy, that's true for you too. And he tells Timothy, we'll read it next week in, in, in 1 Timothy 2, 2, that it's uh, actually Timmy, Timothy's responsibility to teach this truth to other people who will teach it to other people who will teach it to other people who will teach it to other people. And now we're at the point where I get to teach it to you. So this truth is true for you as well. That when God saves you, in every sense and in every tense, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are made new and you're given the Holy Spirit, that now you are on mission. God has chosen you to be one who contends for the truth. I can't say this enough to you. Your faith is not private. The idea that your faith is private is a lie of the enemy. How you make your faith public, that is a matter of wisdom. 
I am not a door knocker. I am not walking around in my neighborhood knocking on doors every Friday afternoon waiting for somebody to answer so that I can hand them a tract and say, hey, if you were to die today, do you know where you would go for eternity? Some of you might be door knockers. I got no problem with door knockers. I've not ever found that conversation to go well. So when I say that God has made you someone that contends for truth, I'm not saying that you have to do it in a certain way. You, you contend for truth with wisdom, but it is not private. It is a public expression of who you are because you are made new. Spurgeon says it this way. So if you're going to be mad, be mad at Spurgeon, not me. By the way, Charles Spurgeon, if you're not sure who that is, he's a guy you should listen to. He says this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let that sink in for a second. See, because, oh, by the way, and, and I, I keep telling you this, but we're so excited we get to hear from Matt Klein uh, and Amy Klein. They're going to be here, boy, they're, they're going to be here uh, in two weeks. They'll be here on the 8th of July, and I really hope you can make it because we get to hear, and he's going to bring a word to us, and he's going to preach to us on that day. Um, I think it's great for us to be able to hear from people that have been commissioned as missionaries. But you know what? We have this weird cultural connotation where we assume missionary means a guy that goes to Turkey. Means a lady that takes her, her husband and baby and goes to Turkey. And that's, that's, that is a missionary. But that's not all that missionary is. A missionary is someone who operates in hostile territory and contends for the truth of the gospel. This is hostile territory. There's a spirit of this age that is always pushing against us. And your job as a Christian is to contend for the truth of the gospel. You are a missionary. Spurgeon says it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or a fake. There is not a lot of middle ground in that. You are either a missionary or you are a fake. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you can't really love him. Those are harsh words, but that's the reality because if you really loved Jesus Christ who has done all of this in you, you would want everyone else to know about Jesus Christ and you wouldn't let your fear or your shame stop you from making sure that everybody else knows about Jesus Christ. You just wouldn't. We keep going. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. This is, by the way, this is my third favorite text in Scripture. If anybody's keeping track, first one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore in Christ, I am a new creation. The old is literally, it means dead, and the new has been born in its place. Okay, Ephesians 2, 10 tells me that as a new creation, I'm God's masterpiece, and he has got work for me to do. He has created uh, this work a long time ago for me to step into as a Christian. And then this one, because these all tie together, by the way, I'm new. I'm new and I have work to do. And, and this one I love because it tells me the work that I do, it counts for me. This is, Paul says, this is why I'm suffering in prison. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I've been preaching the gospel. And this is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. So, so Paul is saying this, I'm in prison and they're going to kill me because I've been preaching the gospel. But I'm still not sorry that I preached the gospel. I'm still not ashamed for preaching the gospel. I'm still glad that I contended for truth. Why? Because I know the one that I trust. 
And I am absolutely, positively assured that he is able to guard everything that I have given him and to credit it to my account on the day of his return. What you do to contend for the gospel of Jesus Christ is never without reward. What you do to contend for the faith, what you do to contend for the gospel is always rewarded. Maybe not in the immediate. What Paul does to contend for the gospel, even though he's in jail and about to be executed, it's all been rewarded. Sometimes we get to have those rewards in the moment. The relationship is healed. And, and somebody comes to know Jesus as their, their personal Savior, or some things happen, or, or something good comes, and everybody can see the good thing, and I get that reward, and I experience it, and I revel, and it's great. Sometimes, though, when you contend for truth, it feels like the opposite happens. Good things don't happen. It feels like bad things happen. I mean, I, I, I've known people um, that have contended for truth and have then been talked badly about because, it, because of it. People that have contended for truth and been fired because of it. People that have contended for truth and been sued because of it. And we would look at that and we would say, well, where's the good in that? When I read this, say, you know what? Not only am I made new in Christ and not only has, has God foreordained all of these things for me to do, but I have a trust fund and all of the good that I'm doing even if it's not recognized, and even if it doesn't show up, it's going into that account, and I am trusting Jesus to hold on to it, and it will be credited to me on the day of his return. Listen to me. Whatever you suffer for the sake of the gospel will be credited to you. That's the truth of this passage. 2 Timothy 1.12, I know in whom I've trusted, and I am confident I am sure that he is able to keep everything that's been paid in for me safe and secure until the day of his return when I will have it back. So listen to me. Go back to that missionary. Go back to the missionary who was planning a church in, in, in a dark place in India who was, was beaten and had to witness his wife be brutalized but then continued to minister and forgive and pour out. And now we see that he and his wife in what I can only say is a great act of humility and love. We're able to just love and baptize and welcome into the family of God as brothers in, in Christ, the people who hurt them. All of that is in their account waiting for them. It's all waiting. Listen, every time you risk for the gospel, every time you, you step out in faith and you, you share faith with somebody that needs to know Jesus Christ, even if it doesn't end well for you, it counts for you. Every time you do something hard for the sake of the gospel, every time you sacrificially give so that other people can know the name of Christ, that's credited to you. Every time you shut gossip and disunity down in the church when it starts, Every time you step in and you say, no, not here, not in this church, this church will remain unified and we will worship the God of the universe and you shut it down. It costs you relationally, but it's credited to your account. 
Every time you let go of a preference in a style that makes sense to you, something that is passionate for you, something that helps you, but you know it's not necessarily helping other people reach the gospel or other people understand the gospel, and so you put away your preferences and you engage in something that lets other people know who God is, yes, it's a loss for you, but it's credited to your account. And Jesus is holding on to it. That is the best return on your investment you're ever going to get. That's the truth of this. And Paul says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Work in power. Work in this, in this power, this spirit of God that works in you and, and fan it into flames. And whatever it costs you, don't worry about it because it's not really costing you. Think about it this way. And it's such a terrible analogy and it falls apart all over the place. But if you're wise, okay, sometimes I'm not wise, but if you're wise, you're saving for retirement. It's something that's costing you now, it feels like, that is credited to your account so that later on you can reap the benefits. We get that. That makes sense, right? This is so much better than that. Every time you contend for faith and you, it costs you to, to love people selflessly and to share the gospel, it's counted to you and it's there for you and that'll last for eternity. So Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel, and don't even wallow, but, but fight for the gospel with joy because it does something for you, okay? Suffering for Christ should be considered a privilege, not a sacrifice. It's more of a blessing than it is an ordeal. That's what the apostles got. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 2, they went and they were beaten in the temple by the Sanhedrin, and they walked away rejoicing like they were beaten. They, and beaten means they were whipped. They were whipped because they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they walked away not sulking, but they walked away celebrating because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the sake of the gospel, knowing that everything they just laid out for the gospel was being credited to their account, and they were trusting that Jesus would hold it safe until the day of his return when they would be rewarded for it. So Paul says, in that vein, you should never be ashamed of the gospel, never be scared, because you have a spirit of power. Let's finish up here. Then Paul says this, okay, Timothy, so in all of this, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you've learned from me. It's a pattern shaped by faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. That's what he says. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. You know, we live in a world where it is in vogue to compromise truth. We live in a world where it makes sense to sacrifice a little bit of truth here because we think it makes things more attractive here. We live in a world where it makes sense to, to start to read through this and start to decide that for 2,000 years some of this has been misunderstood because it makes me more popular with my community members if I say, no, 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 that's not really what it means. We live in a world where it becomes quite simple even by my behavior to say that there are things that are okay that God never intended to be okay. 
And Paul tells Timothy, do not compromise. By the way, this is one of the reasons why it is so on my heart and why the leaders have been talking about it and why we'll be talking about it. This is one of the reasons why it is so on my heart that we must extend our reach. You know, we talk about extending the reach of Blessed Hope all the time, extending the reach outside of these walls, extending the reach outside of Vinton, extending the reach of Blessed Hope. Why? Because we won't do that. And unfortunately, other churches in droves are doing it. I mean, that's, that just is what it is. But Paul says, man, hold on to the pattern of wholesome, holy teaching that you've learned, a pattern shaped by faith in the scriptures and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And there are churches that are compromising the precious truth that has been entrusted to them. We have made a covenant with you and you have made a covenant with us as leaders that we will never compromise the precious truth that has been given to us. And so therefore, it is imperative for us to push that out unashamedly, no matter what it costs us. Because even when it costs us, it's being credited to our account. And we don't need to be scared or timid or worried about the what-ifs. Right? We need to be wise But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He's given us a spirit of power and of self-control and of love that pushes us forward. So that's how we end this. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you've learned from me. Don't compromise it. Basically, what Paul is telling Timothy is imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is what the elders of Blessed Hope strive to be for you. As a pastor here, and, and as, as an elder here, and I know the hearts of our elders, what we strive to be able to say to you, and sometimes we're really good at it and sometimes we struggle, but what we strive to be able to say with you is we're not perfect, but follow us as we follow Christ. And we say that without shame. And we encourage you to do so. Follow us as we follow Christ, as we contend for the truth, as we become missionaries, right? We heard that video at the beginning because everything you do, you do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ because as a Christian, you are a missionary or you are an imposter. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come back up. Ask Malia to come up. I'm gonna pray for us and then they'll, uh, they'll help us close out our service with some more worship. But um, would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father God, we just... We just thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the truth in scripture that you are a God who loves and cares for us and and that you have in every sense and in every tense, you have dealt with our salvation once and for all and brought us in to the family of God. And in doing so, you have given us the power to live a life that makes sense, that is who we were always intended to be. So God, help us to live without fear and shame. Help us to be on mission for the gospel. Help us to have confidence in that, knowing that whatever it costs us, every hurt, every heartache, every fumble, every misstep, everything is being counted for us and it is being held by the one we serve. That Jesus Christ is holding it to our credit for the day of our return. God, that is such comfort to us as we continue to move forward with the gospel. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.